Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. Jesus realized that all of us fall short. We all fall short of God's standard for righteousness. So how do we repair relationships that may have been severed? I want you to notice in verses 23 to 26, he gives us two important principles for repairing damaged relationships. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. You know, cultivating healthy relationships between flawed people, and by the way, that's all of us, is rarely easy. But in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus provided a standard for righteousness that helps guide our interaction with others. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress outlines biblical principles for repairing relationships that have been broken. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. Sometimes people are surprised to learn that Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, only takes 18 minutes to read. Isn't that a remarkable fact? Maybe Jesus understood our limited attention span. We're easily distracted today, aren't we? Well, in our current teaching series, we're taking our time to truly understand the timeless wisdom in Jesus' most famous sermon. Jesus spoke in language all of us can understand about issues that confront us all. That's why I'm taking the entire month of October to dissect each sentence in his sermon. And that's why I've written a brand new hardcover book for you as well. My book is titled 18 Minutes with Jesus, Straight Talk from the Savior About the Things That Matter Most. Jesus gave us counsel on issues like cultivating healthy relationships, learning how to manage our money, and responding to our enemies, just to name a few. And when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory, I'll be happy to send you a copy of my book, 18 Minutes with Jesus, straight to your home. It'll arrive with 10 exclusive encouragement cards based on this series. Each card identifies one of Jesus' major points and how you can apply that truth today. You can keep these encouragement cards in your pocket, or you can display them in a prominent spot in your home as a constant reminder that Jesus is on your side. Now, let's get started with our next study in this teaching series. I titled today's message, Straight Talk About Your Relationships. Turn to Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Jesus said, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, that until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until it's all accomplished. Look at verse 20. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have to be better than the Pharisees. Remember, they thought the Pharisees were the holiest of all God's people. The Pharisees were strict adherents of the Old Testament law. The Old Testament law had 245 commandments and 365 prohibitions. And if that weren't enough, the Pharisees added to it. They added thousands of regulations about what kind of work exactly you could not do on the Sabbath. They made it impossible for anybody to obey those standards. 
And yet Jesus said even that standard of the Pharisees isn't enough. Matthew 5, 21, Jesus said, now you have heard that the ancients were said, that's another way of saying, you have read in the Bible, the Old Testament, you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. Now, let's hand it to the Pharisees. They got it right. They were teaching right. The Old Testament standard was don't murder anybody. That was the minimum standard, don't murder anybody. Jesus adds to that standard. Look at verse 22. But I say to you, not in contradiction of the Old Testament, but in addition to it, that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Jesus is addressing the attitudes behind the action of murder. And this is his foundational teaching about relationships. Yes, murder is the extreme, the ultimate way of severing your relationship with another person. But there are other ways to fracture an important relationship. For example, it's possible to murder somebody through infuriation. That is, with your anger. That's what Jesus says here. Everyone who is angry is guilty. Does that mean anger is always wrong? No, anger is not always wrong. If you'll remember in our series on Proverbs, the Solomon Secrets, I defined anger as a natural, physical, and emotional reaction to perceived injustice. It's natural for us to be angry. When we see these atrocities being committed in Ukraine, most of us get angry at what we're watching. You know why we get angry? It's not because we're sinful. It's because we are made in the image of God who gets angry. We are made in God's image. God is angered over injustice, wrongdoing. Did you know the word anger in the Old Testament is used 455 times? 375 of those times, it refers to the anger of God. The reason we get angry is because God gets angry. And that's not just an Old Testament concept. In John 2, Jesus was angry when he saw the money changers in the temple and he drove them out. Jesus was angry at the Pharisees who were hypocrites, who tried to make others carry out responsibilities they didn't carry out. No, anger is not always wrong. It's anger that's not properly dealt with that's wrong. It might be helpful to know that in the Greek language, especially in the New Testament, there are two major words for anger. One is thumos. That word refers to a flash of anger that comes quickly and dissipates quickly. But the kind of anger Jesus is talking about is not thumos, it's orge, O-R-G-E. This is a smoldering, internal anger. It's like a fire that starts in the attic of your house and begins to grow and grow and grow until it consumes your entire house. That's the kind of anger he's talking about, resentment that turns into jealousy and bitterness and ultimately erupts into some violent explosion. It's the kind of anger that was behind the first murder in the Bible in Genesis 4. Remember Cain and Abel? God accepted Abel's sacrifice because it was according to God's standard. He rejected Cain's sacrifice. Cain became resentful. He thought he had been treated unjustly. And that perceived injustice led to bitterness 
And that bitterness uh, turned into resentment and jealousy and ultimately exploded with Cain killing Abel. No, anger is natural. And it's okay as long as it's dealt with correctly and quickly. Emphasize that word quickly. That's why Paul wrote in Ephesians 4, verses 26 and 27, be angry and yet do not sin. Isn't that an interesting command? Be angry and yet do not sin. If anger in and of itself were wrong, he never would have said be angry. Is there any other verse in the Bible that says be lustful and do not sin? Be a drunkard, be drunk, but don't sin. Be a thief, but don't sin. No, it's be angry, yet don't sin. And here's how to deal with it correctly. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. How do you respond to anger? That's another sermon in and of itself. But let me emphasize the importance of doing it quickly. And this is especially true for those of us who are married. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't go to bed if you're angry with your mate. You stay up, work it out, talk it through. I heard a pastor just this week say that anger between a married couple is like wet cement. If it's allowed to harden overnight, it becomes almost impossible to deal with the next day. Deal with anger quickly. One way we destroy another person is by our anger, murder by infuriation. But there's a second way to destroy your relationship, murder by devaluation. Devaluation. Look at verse 22. He went on to say, whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. That phrase, good for nothing, is the Aramaic word raka. It literally means empty-headed. When you say you are empty-headed, you are devaluing another person. That's why James 3, 8 to 10 says, but no one can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Whenever you devalue somebody, you call them empty, you are speaking out against the God who created them, and that's wrong. I remember a few years ago, there was a debate in the national news about somebody criticized a New York senator, United States senator from New York, by calling him a schmuck. And there was a big national discussion about what does schmuck mean? It doesn't mean jerk, or is it a more obscene term? Well, you know, the fact is it doesn't matter in the end. That term should not be used by a Christian to describe anybody. When you call somebody a jerk, a schmuck, whatever it means, you're saying they are of no value. And by the way, just because somebody may not be a Christian doesn't give us the right to devalue them. Remember what God did for us? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God didn't look at us as worthless. He didn't write us off to experience the consequences of our sin. He valued us. And that's why he sent Christ to die for us. Don't be guilty by a murder by devaluation. And thirdly, we can destroy your relationship. We can murder somebody by defamation. 
This is a nuanced difference, but it's still important to understand. Verse 22, whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. You fool. The Greek word Jesus used here is moros. We get our word moron from it. Now, in our language, we think of a moron as a stupid person, but that's not what Jesus had in mind here. Uh, That would have been the previous word, empty-headed. Here, it means a moral reprobate. To call somebody a moros was to defame their character, to engage in character assassination. You know, we've got a good illustration of that from our country's history. In 1800, the presidential race was between John Adams and Thomas Jefferson, Thomas Jefferson hired a newspaper man named James Callender to write some critical articles and make charges against Adams. And Callender, in addition uh, to calling uh, John Adams a monarchist and a warmonger, he also called him, quote, a repulsive pedant. I didn't know what a pedant was. I had to look it up. Do you know what it is? Look it up called him a gross hypocrite. He said he was a strange compound of ignorance and ferocity of deceit and weakness. In other words, he was assassinating his character. Proverbs eleven nine says, with his mouth, the godless man destroys his neighbor, but through knowledge, the righteous will be delivered. Don't be guilty of destroying somebody by devaluing them or by defaming them. Could I say a very applicable word to us right now? We're living in a time when our country is more divided than it's been since the days of the Civil War. And that polarization is only increasing. I think as Christians, we have every right and responsibility to call out the ungodly policies of the current administration or any administration for that matter. And I did that last week. But just because we disagree with our authority doesn't mean we have the right to defame them or devalue them. We have no right to use terms like the moron in chief to describe the president of the United States. No Christian should be a part of the let's go Brandon chant which everybody knows is just a thinly veiled expletive that no Christian should ever utter. Let's not subscribe to the world's way to deal with the very real disagreements we may have with the government. Everybody is created in God's image. And when we speak out against another person, we devalue them, we defame them, not their policies, but them as a person, we are guilty of murder. Jesus realized that all of us fall short. Let me be the first to say I fall short of that. We all fall short of God's standard for righteousness. So how do we repair relationships that may have been severed? I want you to notice in verses 23 to 26, he gives us two important principles for repairing damaged relationships. The first principle is reconciliation is more powerful than revenge. Remember that reconciliation is more powerful than revenge. Usually our natural instinct, if somebody wrongs us, is to wrong them, to hurt them, and thus begins an escalation in hostility 
that ends up many times in a mutual destruction of both parties. Jesus said, let me show you a better way. Reconciliation is more powerful than revenge. And he gives this illustration. Verse 23, therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar and you there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and first be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Now, you know how most people interpret that? I've heard this a million times. I've heard preachers say, now, if you're in church and you're worshiping and then you remember you've got something against somebody, leave church and go to that other person and try to wrangle a confession out of them Confront them with their need to say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And don't leave until you've succeeded in doing that. Is that what Jesus is talking about? No. In fact, in Mark 11:25, Jesus made it very clear that if you are in church, if you're praying, if you're worshiping, and you remember you have something against your brother, don't leave the church, don't leave your pew. You stand right there by yourself and forgive that other person. That's what Mark eleven twenty five 25 says, where whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your father who is in heaven will forgive you of your transgressions. You don't need to go talk to somebody to forgive them. You don't need to hear them say, I'm sorry, I repent. You don't need to put any conditions on it. You've got the power right there to forgive them. And that produces freedom. Your spiritual freedom doesn't depend on what they do. That other person can be in another state, in another country, or in the cemetery. You don't have to depend upon them. It's in you to forgive, to let go of that offense. So what is Jesus talking about here? He's talking about you're in church and you remember somebody else has something against you. You suddenly remember somebody has something against you. This is one of the few times Jesus ever says, leave the church service leave the temple, and you go to that person and you seek to be reconciled to them. They've got something against you, you go be reconciled to them. You may know what that something is, and you go and you make it right with them. You make restitution if necessary. You repent. It may be that you don't know what you've done, but there's been a barrier between that person and you. What do you do then? You go to them and say, you know what? I sense there's something that has come between us. I don't know what it is, but our relationship is so valuable that I want you to please tell me what I've done to offend you so that I can make it right. Somebody after the first service wrote on the iCampus, but what if they say, if you don't know, I'm not going to tell you. I've had that happen to me. Well, you can't do anything about that. You can't do that, but at least you've made the effort. You know, that's what a clear conscience is. A clear conscience is the assurance that neither God nor anybody else can accuse you of a wrong you have not attempted to make right. That other person may or may not want to reconcile with you. That depends upon them. But you're responsible to make the effort. Remember Romans 12, 18? If possible, as far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. Jesus said in a fractured relationship, first of all, reconciliation is more powerful than revenge. Secondly, reconcile today rather than tomorrow. 
That's the second principle. Look at verses 25 to 26. Jesus said, make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Truly, I say to you, you will not come out of there until you've paid up the last cent. Now, this makes no sense to us in our culture, but it did to Jesus' audience. Remember in Jesus' day, really up until 1830 in our own country, there was such a thing as debtor's prison. If you owed somebody money and you refused to pay, they could take you to court. And if the judge ruled against you, you could be thrown into debtor's prison until you repaid. And guess what? You didn't have a chance to repay it. You're in prison. And all that happened was the interest on your debt increased and increased and increased until you could never get out. Jesus was saying it's much better to make peace with your opponent now before he takes you to court, before you run up legal fees, before the judge gives you a a ruling that you don't like, before your debt increases anymore from your imprisonment. How does that relate to our relationships? Reconcile today rather than tomorrow. Let me be real practical with this. Amy and I rarely argue, but when we do, and if it's my fault, which it usually is, I've learned the hard way after 45 years of marriage, it's much better if I ask her forgiveness today than wait. Because the longer I wait, the more my debt increases day by day by day. And frankly, the bigger the debt becomes, the less likely I'm to ask forgiveness the longer it goes, the less likely she is to grant forgiveness. Settle it today. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying that reconciliation is more powerful than revenge. And he's saying reconciling today is wiser than reconciling tomorrow. What does Jesus have to say about relationships? Here's the Jesus standard for righteousness. Keep a check, keep a watch on your anger and your words. And if either gets out of hand, work for reconciliation and do it quickly. Every principle in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount can be readily applied to everyday life. It's so simple to understand and yet so challenging to remember. My hope and my prayer is that this series called 18 Minutes with Jesus becomes a catalyst for transformation in your life. To help you, I asked the team at Pathway to Victory to help me produce a stack of encouragement cards. Each card identifies a principle we're learning in this series. This gives you a tangible and a visible reminder to apply what Jesus taught in his Sermon on the Mount. But that's not all. I've also written a brand new book that goes into far greater detail. My book is called 18 Minutes with Jesus, Straight Talk from the Savior about the things that matter most. You see, it's not enough simply to read Jesus' sermon and think, oh, that's nice. No, our job as followers of Christ is to integrate His wisdom into our daily lives. And as we learn to implement what Jesus taught, we'll discover the satisfaction of better relationships, deeper happiness, and much more. To receive your copy of my book, 18 Minutes with Jesus, and the encouragement cards, 
Just follow the simple instructions David will give you. Both resources come with my thanks when you give a generous gift to support the growing ministry of Pathway to Victory. As our ministry continues to reach more and more people around the world, our expenses are growing as well. So thanks for remembering that your gift, large or small, will make all the difference as together we pierce the darkness with the light of God's Word. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. You're invited to request the brand new book, 18 Minutes with Jesus, along with the set of 10 encouragement cards when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. Call us today, 866-999-2965, or visit our website, ptv.org. And when your gift is $100 or more, you'll receive not only the book, but also the complete collection of audio and video discs for the 18 Minutes with Jesus teaching series. Plus, we'll also send you a study guide for use with a small group or individual study. One more time, call 866-999-2965 or find us online at ptv.org. You could also write to us if you'd like. Here's that mailing address. P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. Again, that's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins, inviting you to join us again next time when we look at what Jesus taught about marital fidelity and sexual purity. Hear a message called Straight Talk About Your Sex Life, Thursday on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas. Join Dr. Robert Jeffress on an unforgettable trip to Israel. You've read about places like the Mount of Olives and the Plain of Megiddo. Isn't it time to see these remarkable sites for yourself? Join us on the Pathway to Victory Bible Prophecy Tour of Israel. To learn more, go to ptv.org.